right, welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from a packed house here at Split Rocks. Amazing on a uh, Wednesday night. So beautiful out. You go out, uh, you know, I don't know, do something else, but you decided to come here and see Anthony and myself. So thanks for, uh, for everybody for coming on out here to Split Rocks. Our next live show is January 16th at Tuttle's at 7 p.m. January 16th at Tuttle's at 7. Anthony, you and I did a podcast in Calgary. John Hines had won his first three games at that point. It became four that night when the Wild played really well against the Calgary Flames. Started great. Then, then when there were some really hairy moments in the game, they they responded the right way and, and got an extra, you know, a fourth goal to come, calm things down, then a fifth goal to calm things down. Had a little blip in the radar in games in Vancouver and Edmonton that goes to, go to Seattle and wrap up that four-game trip with a split. What do you see right now with a team that's won five of its first seven under their new coach? Yeah, I think that's it. Five out of seven and finding ways to win games that – you know, I, I think the everything's been reset. There's a little jolt with the coaching change for sure. And guys just playing with confidence. The biggest thing I think is we've seen Matt Boldy become Matt Boldy. And he's been one of the hottest scorers in the league. There's only two players in the league that have more goals than him since the coaching change. And it, I don't know that it's anything that has to do with the change. It's just a guy that is suddenly playing the game the way we saw him play it late last season. And anytime you talk about a coaching change, or not anytime, but often you'll hear the new coach comes in in the middle. It's not like he's reinventing anything. He's making little tweaks, and I'm not trying to downplay that. But it, what he provided was a little bit of a just a, a jolt of energy. And some of it might just be uh, guys looking at each other saying, holy cow, guys, we just got a coach that we all kind of liked fired. It's time for us to to pick things up. And so there's been a little bit of that. They've been getting saves that they frankly weren't getting before that same two guys, but now they're making saves. And I thought the trip was good. Two and two, four points out of eight. We thought going into the trip that they'd probably, we thought five might be a better target. And I, I thought they'd win the first and last game, win in Calgary, win in Seattle. And I, I thought the key was that they had to try to find a way to get one of those two in the middle, at least push it into overtime. And, and then you either finish two, one and one or three and one on the trip. And they just, I thought they were a little flat the last two periods in Vancouver. That's probably the one that got away. The, the Edmonton one was going to be a handful back. Yeah, that back was definitely, uh, you know, the, th- that goal that they gave up uh, early in the third period, uh, the first minute of the third period in, in Vancouver probably did them in there. If they keep that to one nothing, I bet you the way that they would played in the first period, they, they get that game to overtime and, and uh, get Same the five points. Edmonton, though, they, they, had a, they had the game right there to get it into overtime in a spot where they had everything going against them. They had traveled back and forth, playing the third game in four nights, second of back-to-backs. Edmonton's played one game in eight days, haven't traveled anywhere. And they got outplayed most of the night, but were sitting even in the third period. And then the the such that painful sequence where Brodine gets ridden into the boards by Kane. Hartman takes a retaliatory penalty on the play. They get a power play. Brodine's out of the game, and and all of a sudden everything turns. Um, you 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 and I have been in that uh, Department of Player Safety many times. Uh, actually, have you been there? You've been in there with me, yeah, of course. Um, and you know, I I, I was in there. I think twice last season. Um, the one thing about the department of player safety and officiating that people don't sometimes get is that there are different standards. And just because that play by Evander Kane didn't rise to the standard of suspending him doesn't mean it should not have been a penalty. It absolutely should have been a penalty. And that did turn the game around. 
It did, and I agree. I didn't think it was a suspendable hit. I really didn't. I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it should have been called a penalty. When I watched it live, I didn't even – like, Kane could have made it worse. We've seen Kane make hits like that worse. He coasted a little bit, glided a little bit, but bottom line is it was – blatantly in the back his numbers were never Brody never turned he was had his back to him the whole way should have been a penalty and but I didn't think it was a suspendable hit I, I thought it was just an unnecessary and probably dirty but that's just Kane he's yeah. that, that's the way yeah, he plays. yeah I mean really what work things turn hairy at least in terms of the hit was that he kind of drove his neck right into the glass um now, now, I will say this from George Paris's perspective. I mean, they, it, clearly something they didn't like about the hit because they actually talked to Ken Holland and Evander Kane uh, by phone and issued him a warning. But I think that um, the one thing about it that is absolutely true is that we don't normally see Jonas get blown up like that. Like he really did not put himself like he it, it felt like he he didn't put himself in a position where he even knew Kane was coming. Yeah. And usually he peels off those things. I think he just took it for granted that he wasn't going to get checked, which I think is sometimes part of the problem in the NHL right now, because it has become a league where players respect each other and don't take those extra hits. Sometimes we see guys skating with their heads down. You see it with Kaprizov all the time where he peel, guys just peel off and don't hit him. Here, I think Jonas just took it for granted that he wasn't going to get hit from behind. Yeah, I think that's a discussion for a, another, like, I think that's a bigger, larger scale discussion that the league has gotten to the point where every time a guy makes a big hit, somebody else races over and like the guy's got to fight because he just made what used to be just an everyday common hit. And I do think there's a big part of it that guys don't, they don't understand how to be hit anymore, how to watch out to avoid being hit. Brodine usually is pretty good at that. We actually talked to him on the bus on the way to the game in Seattle. Uh, Wes Walls and I were sitting on the bus when he got on and, and he said he wasn't aware that Kane was coming. And Wes's first comment was like, and if you'd have known it was Evander Kane and the way he's been playing lately, it would have probably been a like an extra little alert on your behalf. And and he said you probably didn't even know it was him and the way he's his hits right now are way up since their coaching change. He's just playing the game differently, and you do have to be aware of that. I don't think Brodeen did a, did enough to protect himself, but it was still it was a bad hit. It was a dirty yeah, hit. Yeah, at it a minimum, a, a two minute boarding penalty. It was a penalty. and, and uh, have been. and and then. To make matters worse, they don't call that, and then they they uh, completely fall for Kane diving. He goaded Hartman right into he that did, thing. But Hartman you know? took the bait. Yeah. It's a penalty yeah. Hartman can't yeah. take. And yep. the Wild, it's it's funny how many times as we talk about the differences now, you get a new coach, new set of eyes and all this. Some of the same problems still keep popping up with this team, and one is taking undisciplined penalties. Look at that trip. John Merrill takes the offensive zone holding penalty coming down the wall for no reason. Alex Galagoski takes the careless holding penalty. Hartman takes that one. All these How about Zuccarello is holding the stick Zuccarello penalty for the tying the goal? And all of these are penalties that were unnecessary at key times in the game. And we've seen that from Ryan Hartman. He plays the game on the edge. He took the bait from Kane. And yes, Kane kind of pulled him down on top of himself and drew the penalty. But you have to be smart enough to stay away from that. And and the Wild paid the price for it a couple times on this trip, unfortunately. But to go back to the Hartman players... also it, cost us a 15-minute delay in uh, Vancouver by abs- angrily smashing the glass with a stick that broke yeah, that. So. Boy, they, yeah. they struggled with that repair, too, didn't I they? Would, I would have given any... I can't even imagine what these people at home had to listen to with you just blabbing for 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't like, even what remember. What did you even talk about? Like, I like have ha- no recollection. Steaks? 
We might have, yeah. I, actually, I have no recollection what we talked about during that time. <laughs> I probably wasn't paying attention. It oh, was, I'm sure Wes had something good to say. I, all that, I could just throw out a couple topics and let him go on a filibuster for a while, but it was... I don't remember what we did. It took it was amazing how long it took. It was though. 15 minutes because I texted your producer in the truck and I basically said, uh, hey, how long in real time was that? He gave me the exact number. Well, why so. didn't you come in and talk to us? Because we were, you know, do. you were on the gondola across the, the the rink. We tried to put you as far away from the writers as we can. In that oh, is that, is that one of the rinks where you're on the other yeah, side? Yeah, Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Were you on this trip? How do you, you, I mean, you don't know where you sat? It's your favorite I know where press I box sat. I don't have any idea where you sat. Jeez. Louise. I know where I'm going. We oh have no, this trip actually was one of the best trips because in terms of broadcast spots, Calgary might be number one in the league. Mm-hmm. Vancouver's in the top three or four. And Seattle's pretty good. Yeah. With their new building, we have a, they have a gondola that's out over the rink. So we've got... Yeah, on that trip, and then Edmonton is the 32 out of 32, so that balanced it maybe. But the other three were terrific. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you were there. Uh, all right, yeah, questions. Yeah, Must so, really want a T-shirt. Yeah, just just a little bit. Uh, no, but curious, you talk a little bit about Kane getting a warning, and how does that uh, – is there really a precedent for that? And then yeah. I know they talk a lot about – uh, repeat offenders. So how does that factor in? Versus, he will, like, he doesn't get anything like that. But next time he boards somebody, if it's even questionable, I bet he gets a uh, hearing. But the um, warning but, thing is interesting because I haven't heard that before. It's what, the first when, time so, that the league. So they, I think the league knew that this was such a hot button topic. And uh, myself and a reporter from Edmonton were inquiring and they just let us know that this happened. But that's not something normally broadcast. Like if you look, I guarantee you um, that if you look at Ryan Hartman's record, not only will you see the three suspensions and the six fines that he's had in his career, I bet you there's four or five warnings on there. Um, You know, the the warnings are usually stuff that doesn't get out. Um, But in this case, I think the league... I think there was a big debate inside the league's uh, Department of Player Safety on whether or not this should be a suspended, suspendable hit, and there was definitely a difference of opinion. Uh, there were some people in that league office that felt that he um, should have been suspended, um, but the final say goes to George Peros, and and he's the but one that made the decision. We could, there's a this is a debate we've had before because so the way they've got multiple eyes in the room that sit and watch the play, and it is a, a collaborative decision. It isn't just George thinks it's a suspension, so it is. He listens to these voices. I don't know. Yeah, they send many- the clips. There's an email that goes also to, to players, former players in the league, the Ray Whitney's of the world. Right. used to be Pronger, people like that. And, and but they, they literally send thoughts, question mark, which, by the way, is like my biggest pet peeve when somebody says that on Twitter to me. Right. Uh, thoughts, but question so mark. So they, they, they deliberate, and uh, at no point during the del- deliberation does a player's history come into play. They first decide, is this play a suspendable play. Then if it is, now his record comes into play. And we talked to George about that when we were there and the the analogy he used made some sense to me where he said it's if you're looking at a criminal on the street, the fact that he has a record doesn't make the next thing it shouldn't determine whether the next thing is a crime or not. But once it's a crime, now when you're going to determine the sentence, now the fact that he's an eight-time offender should make a difference. So, and that made some sense. I do think, however, there's some times where you have to, because this is such a gray area with intent that if I got a guy who's been suspended seven times, 
if that hits questionable, I'm going to say, wait a minute now. We, we, we know who this clown is. He plays like a donkey all the time, and we got to make sure that we put a stop to this. So I, I do think there's a balance, and we've debated back and forth about this, whether or not it should be. And for whatever it's worth, though, that's how they de- decide. And the, the player's record doesn't come into effect until they start determining uh, and the I length also, of suspension. Like, part of me also thinks, I think there were people in that Department of Player Safety that were so shocked that it wasn't a penalty, that that also maybe hurt Kane's cause and even them thinking about suspending him. Like, if you think about it, if he gets a major there or a two-minute minor in the wild score of the power play, it shouldn't probably affect the decision, but yeah, it does. Yeah, they claim like, it doesn't. Yeah, they, they claim, claim it doesn't. The, the, but I'm telling you, like, a like Brandon Duham's a good example of this. He got a five-minute major in a game misconduct earlier this season for hitting Ryan Healy from Dallas. Um, he didn't get suspended for a play that I think a lot of us thought that he was going to get suspended for. And I bet you if he doesn't get that long major in the game misconduct that hurt the Wild badly in that horrific loss, I bet you that he does get that hearing the next day. They claim it doesn't, but I think it does. Yeah, and they claim we asked them about if a guy, if it happens in the first two minutes of a game, so a guy gets ejected and basically misses 58 minutes. They said none of, they claim none of that's a factor. Mm-hmm. And, I'm sure there were the, a lot of bad hits the back last weekend. Of people's minds. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that it doesn't at least pop into your head that, hey, the guy missed 58 minutes, whatever. But yeah, they've got it's, they've got a tough job. And and believe me, we've been I've been at the NHL meetings where they've shown video of plays, and they've told us as broadcasters that they showed them to GMs, and they'll play the broadcasts of here's what this team's guy said, here's what this team... And it's it's pretty entertaining. With, like, one guy will think the guy should go to prison, and the other guy's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe it was a trip, maybe not. And it it's, it is funny how they're how different two people can look at the same exact play. I think what was shocking about the Oilers broadcast is that I think it was, it was Louis DeBrusque, uh, Jake's dad, that, that said this is not a good hit by Kane and yeah. this is the type of thing they don't want in the game, so... You know, unbiased there uh, by 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 Jake by Louie. Well, thank you. Yep, yep. thanks. Grab you a mentioned t-shirt. that they had there were a lot of hits. That, it was a tough week for them because yeah. there and there were. This is a perfect example. I mean, you look at some of these or a couple of retaliatory hits. David Perron's retaliatory hit after the hit on Dylan Larkin, and it, it, it's hard to imagine that the a guy who's the first offense and he got six games for that. Where we've seen some much more vicious hits get lesser suspensions yeah. and guys that have had a record guys have had a history. That one surprised me. I was, I I'm, I'm really shocked at that. The length of that one. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you guys need chairs, I'm sure they'll, they'll get you some chairs to get in here. Um, uh, to, to your point, I think that they almost, it's like, I don't think it's right, but it's like, if it's in the heat of battle, they just sit there and say, give you like, more of a benefit of a doubt than a, you know, a after whistle retaliatory play against a player that had nothing to do with what happened to Dylan Larkin anyway. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me because we've seen some vicious cross checks to the face and lesser suspension. Do you remember, was it Bouchard once that got suspended for like a play on, uh, on, uh, one of the Columbus goons. And it was like, I, I, the next day, all of a sudden we get a notification that he's getting a hearing. I'm like, what did he even do? I didn't even remember it. Um, so there's plays like that. Um, how about good Branson just going to town on Nick cousins last week. So he gets hit from behind. They right. call the minor penalty. Yeah. He goes nuts there. And then he goes, chases him down when he comes but how out about of the, box? the first one where, and it was a, it was a, should have been a penalty against cousins on the first hit, but 
Good Branson looks like he's playing in the soccer league, right? Yeah. He lays on the ice like you worry they're going to have to call a stretcher. And all of a sudden he hears the whistle and then he just jumps up and yeah. attacks Nick Cousins. It was like, you and know. then later when he just chases him down, right. tackles him and just starts punching. And I don't know, have you, been, have you, been, I mean, Good Branson's been on 50 teams. He's been on Florida, coincidentally. He's been on Vancouver. He's been, uh, have you ever seen him in the locker room with his shirt off? No. The guy's got biceps like the size of like my hips. Like he, if that guy bare knuckled starts punching you on the ground the way he did, that would not feel good. Like my gut says he takes the suspension and moves on and Nick Cousins knows never to come within a breath of him again. Like it, it just. I don't it, think it would feel good to get punched in the face ever. Yeah, you you have never been punched. I've never been punched in the yeah, face. Although yeah. on this trip, I did have a wine that was called Punch in the Face. So I, I, I had to order it when I saw it. That was when we were having dinner in Calgary. Oh, the cactus. The, the wine was yeah. actually called Punch in the Face wine. So I had to order it just so I could say I had tried it. But That's when we would go into this restaurant. We got like six players there, five there. I'm just like, get me out of here. They, like, they don't want to see me. I don't want to see them. Actually, at that point, they were all in a good mood because they were winning again. Question. Um. So kind of a question kind of on like, you know, we've seen all these bad hits and then there was the other kind of bad hit that wasn't, you know, to deal with boarding or anything like that. Um, and it was kind of Ryan Strom on uh, what was it? Kyle Connor, I think. Yeah. And I was just wondering what you guys think about, you know, they say like it's a dirty hit when a player has like that kind of contact with knee on knee. But we saw like with Felino, he kind of had that accidental contact last mm -hmm. year in the playoffs and the league kind of came out and said, you know, that might have not been the right call in that situation. Yeah, so do you probably, think players the actually Felino one should have been probably a two-minute tripping minor maybe, but not a five-minute major and all that. And if it was, knees they don't mess around with. Like, you, you know, if it's bad, they're suspending you. They're not caring if they gave you a major or not. And the, the league felt that was the wrong call that was given to Felino in that game, and that turned that game upside down. And Foxa, like all the – all the like every single Dallas star is apparently taught there – just absolutely was back a second later. Like he, he sold it and then came back. You know, I've never seen a team that dives as much. Like right. Mason Marshman might well, be the mo most. Not only dives, but clearly when you listen to comments from their coach, that's their strategy coming in. These guys will make borderline hits. We'll do whatever we have to do to help draw penalties and then make them pay on the power play. And they've done it. Yeah. To their but in credit. terms of the Strom one, like that one too, like I didn't feel like that was your classic. Like I, there, when I first started coming the league, Knee on knee hits was an absolute epidemic in this league. I covered some egregious ones. I mean, there was one year I covered the Panthers. They probably had like nine sprained MCLs that season and a couple ACLs. Um, and it's not that much anymore. Um, that one I felt like was a play where Strom really didn't stick his knee out. He just kind of continued on his path. And that is the standard that, that they look at in Department of Player Safety is, is was it a clear like, oh, my God, I'm getting beat. And then I stuck my knee out as a, as a reaction or intentional reaction could be the same problem. This one, if you look at it, they're coming after each other. They're both they're they're skating toward each other, not coming after each other. And in my opinion, Neither really changed its path, their path. It, this wasn't a case where Strom was getting beat. It was just an unfortunate collision against an incredible player in Kyle Connor. It's a huge loss for Winnipeg, a huge loss. So, Thank you. Yep, thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about Matt Bellady right now. Um, just absolutely on fire. Six goals, seven games. I know you mentioned it early. Um, but what I love about his game, and I thought that 
that John Hines uh, said it really interestingly after the, the victory the other night in Seattle when we were asked him about him is that he's starting to play more and more in his mind like Joel Erickson Eck, where Erickson Eck is just this two-way horse. And if you look at that first goal, I had the first question I asked Matt Boldy in the locker room after the game in Seattle the other night was, are you more proud of the goal or the defensive play to create the goal? I mean, that he single-handedly broke up a three-on-two with a, with a stick lift and steal then quick up to Kaprizov, and seconds later, it's in the net. Just yeah. a great play by Boldy on both ends of the ice. Well, it was, but he's one of the, he has a, one of the best sticks on the team. Yes. And for the last couple of years, we've seen that. Win so many puck battles around, along the wall. He's been very good coming back in his own zone. This year, he was just taking a ton of penalties, and most of them were stick penalties. They were high stickings. They were hooking. Yeah, the Detroit and, first period one where he tried to stick the lift for the stick yeah, lift and for got the breakaway. Yeah, penalty. It was there were so many of those early this year, and that's been one of the things that's changed. And when Hines had juggled the lines, and basically it was just a swap of Kaprizov and Johansson, so that you had Kaprizov playing with Erickson Eck and Boldy. But he said he wanted to try to drive Kaprizov to play a more straight, direct game, and he thought Boldy and Erickson Eck could bring that out of him. And then it turns out it was paid instant dividends. They score a goal with Kaprizov feeding Boldy. But when he plays that way, he's a handful. Yeah. And I, it, this isn't the first time he's looked like this. He was the best player on the ice for the Wild the last month of last season when Kaprizov was out. It's just the first time we've seen it this year. He's forever been streaky, but this is this is really special what we're seeing now. And and uh, I don't know. I mean, even like when he was on that hot streak in March, I just feel like he's playing a little better right now. I don't know what it is. He's scoring clutch goals like his game in Calgary the other night. Um, I thought was unbelievable, like from start to finish, like everything he did in the neutral zone. Um, and that's a building. You mentioned the sight lines. I mean, that's a building where as a beat writer, you really get a great sense of the game. Uh, because you're so on top of it. You're basically, you're almost like looking down on the players like it's a it's a video game. It's pretty cool. Since 1925, Bowen Lodge has built its reputation as a world-class resort for walleye fishermen visiting northern Minnesota, as well as a premier vacation destination for families seeking the Northwoods experience. Bowen has been owned and operated by the High Family for over 40 years and across three generations. Families continue to make Bowen Lodge their home away from home. Traditions have been forged around the campfire, at the beach, on a sunset pontoon ride, or around the cabin. Bowen's five-star location within the Chippewa National Forest allows guests to escape the noise of everyday life, literally and figuratively. Enjoy comfortable cabins overlooking Lake Winnebagoshish, plus a marina that benefits from the calm, protected waters of Cutfoot Sioux Lake. Amenities like fiber internet, AC, and fully equipped kitchens also allow guests to enjoy peace at the lake with the same conveniences of home. The resort is situated at the end of the road in the middle of the woods, giving guests a true experience in the wild north. It's where eagles soar above your cabin and the call of the loons echoes over the lake. At Bowen Lodge, you become family. Start your journey at bowenlodge.com. Are you concerned about the quality of your water? While unveiling an exclusive offer from Aquarius Home Services, your ultimate solution to water concerns. Elevate your home with a remarkable 25% discount on the -the state-of-the-art whole home Connecticut water system. Whether it's city or well, Connecticut effortlessly banishes your water worries, transforming cleaning into a breeze and extending the lifespan of your appliances. Experience spotless dishes, softer clothes, and pure water at your fingertips. Don't miss out on this life-enhancing opportunity to enjoy the benefits of pristine water, all with an irresistible 25% off. 
Dive into a world of cleaner, purer living with Aquarius Home Services today. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Do more with Royal Credit Union's mobile app. The Royal mobile app lets you receive real-time account alerts, deposit checks, send money to family and friends, pay bills, and more. It's quick and easy to manage your accounts from anywhere. And you can even log in with your fingerprint or face. Open your Royal Credit Union account and enjoy our top-rated mobile app. Learn how easy it is to get started with the Royal Credit Union mobile app at rcu.org slash go mobile. Insured by NCUA. Question, what a beard. That oh. is a cool-looking beard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you and Brock Faber had that in common. Yeah, I, I'm, in, uh, I'm impressed at anybody that can draw That's grow I actually, a beard like that because I can't even like, <laughs> grow facial hair here. <laughs> Uh, that, I, we might have to revisit that because we used to do the no shave November. I know. I found and, that picture on one of my uh, phones. Yeah. You, me, Maybe and next uh, year. Greener, Greener took it in, uh, in right. Two of us looked Dallas. like homeless guys and one yeah. guy looked like he was about to hit puberty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a question about Chris O'Hearn. Uh, you know, you just tweeted that the wild mm-hmm. and him parted ways. Yeah. Um, so in that situation, who do you expect to take over if anybody and they better have an if anybody yeah <laughs> if uh i mean if yeah. if there's a do they have someone in mind or um, would they i do don't a know i don't think so yet i think that's something that bill garen is probably working through right now but they have to i mean you know uh chris o'hearn uh was a their one-man cap guy i mean he he negotiated the contracts he was their transaction guy anytime a player is called up down LTI, um, you know, anything to do with the CBA, he is, he is the person that gets that done is liaison from calling central registry and things like that. So, um, they a hundred percent, uh, need to get somebody, uh, competent and quality in that position right now. Like, <laughs> I mean, part of me when they wild, uh, put, uh, Brodian on LTIR today, and uh, recalled the three guys. I was like in the back of my mind. I was like, I was wondering who the hell even knew how to do it. Um, you know, like I guarantee they probably had a. You know, Matt Sells probably is the one working walking around with the paperwork now. Probably calling Central Registry. Like, all right, uh, so uh, you know, am I doing this correctly? So they they are going to have to get somebody in that role. Uh, you know, it's got to be the right guy though. But but yeah, I mean, luckily right now they don't have any pressing matters in terms of like you got to resign somebody. And things like that, but next summer you sure will, and so they are going to have to get somebody into that position uh, quick. And like anything, you know, in the middle of a hockey season, there's just not a lot of really, you know, quality people out there, or you know, that are that are unemployed. I mean, those most people that know that role are gainfully employed right now with the team. So yeah, and with with that, um, is there? Do you think they'll be more forthcoming with information or will they wait till like maybe the off season or will they just never say what happened? Um, you know, um, all I could say is that, uh, that, uh, Joe and I are, are working on it okay. and, you know, our goal is to eventually give people a, a reason why their assistant GM is no longer employed in December. Yeah. So awesome. Thank yep. you. Um, so we were talking about that. Let's talk about the goaltending you mentioned at the beginning too. You know, sometimes, you know, you want to sit there when a team's in a losing streak and sit, sit and, uh, you know, all right, this guy's not playing well. The coach didn't do this. They can't kill a penalty. Sometimes it is as simple 
also is not getting a save. And their save percentage suddenly under John Hines has gone into like the 950s compared to eight, yeah, compared to 868 under Dean. 31st in the league. Yep. And that that's it right there. We were we've talked about a number of different ways, and we try to do it statistically, graphically, sometimes to hey, here's what's different, here's what's happening. And We've got a couple that we'll have in tomorrow night's show that I was just working on before I came out here that one of them is just that, save percentage. Same two guys. They were third in the league last year. They were 31st uh, when Dean got fired this year, and since he's been fired, they're second. Only Winnipeg's better. And the chances aren't that different. In fact, they're almost identical in terms of how many chances are giving up. There are high-danger chances against all that stuff. But today, when talking at the rink with – Wes and Ryan, who are both going to be on our show tomorrow, one in the pregame, one in the game. But they said, well, I'd like to break down the penalty kill. Well, the penalty kill was world record poor pace. They, they had the lowest percentage in the history of the NHL when Dean got fired. And since the change, they give up just as many chances per two minutes. They give up, just, they give up more shots per two minutes. And yet the penalty kill now is 20 out of 23. Well, the reason why is their save percentage. Before the coaching change, they were 32nd in the league in high danger save percentage on the kill, and they were 30th in save percentage. Now they're second. I mean, that's it. Doesn't that's just the way it is? Sometimes it isn't the nothing else has to be different. But if you stop the puck, the coach looks brilliant, and that's been a big reason. Now all of a sudden, every Every time you take a penalty, it doesn't lead to a goal that changes the game. Instead, they've gotten some kills. And I do think the kill has been better, but analytically, the only thing that's different about it is the saves. I thought Flurry was great in Edmonton. He deserved better. Yeah, I thought um, he was terrific. Yeah, and I, I felt like he almost felt horrible for him when he was like taking a swan dive on the knife after. But I know he's frustrated right now. I'm sure at this point he never expected that he would still be struggling to catch Patrick Waugh and all that type of stuff. Um, he was great against Chicago the start before yeah. that, and they're going to need him. He's going to have to. I mean, Gus has been good, but you, the way their schedule goes, Flurry's going to have to play well, and yeah. he's, they're going to. He has to win some games for him. Absolutely. That just like we talked about Gus going into last year, that they're going. This guy has to win some games for him, and they're in the spot now where even though it's early and they've been playing better, they've got work to do to get into the playoff race. And in order to do that, your backup goaltender, your second goaltender, has to win some games. Yep. Is that Pittsburgh game the first of the back-to-back or second? First. First. first so, so, I mean, you're in your eyes, do you see Gus start in the next two home games, and then and then obviously I would think Fleury is going to start in Pittsburgh? Uh, I don't know because of the fact that it's a day game against Vancouver here on Saturday. So it's a little bit quicker turnaround, even though it's a, there's a day off in between. Wouldn't shock me if you played Fleury. I mean, let's see what happens mm-hmm. in the Calgary game first, but assume let's assume Gus plays and plays well against Calgary. Probably depends on the workload, but Fleury's got to get one of the two back to backs. And I would and think it would be Pittsburgh just because of his history there. The Although history he doesn't there. love playing in Pittsburgh. So. Well, and but it, it would depend on how he plays. Let's say if he does play Saturday and plays really well, then probably give him the Pittsburgh game. But yeah. It, I don't know. For me, I'd go Gus back to back and then and Gus on those two games and then throw Fleury in there. That's just me. Assuming um, Fleury or that Gus plays well. Yeah. Which he's been really good. His yeah. uh, starting with his start in Sweden. From that point to now, he's like third in the league in goals against and third in the league in save percentage. He's he's looked like he did at the end of last season. Yeah. Um, 
And I thought he was really good the other night. I mean, he again, not tested a ton. They're just defending so much better. Like I was, I know they're, I mean, Seattle, like they, they're yeah, they're, they're like they do not score easily. No, um, I, I talked to Dave Haxtell, who I really like, and I've had a ton of respect for throughout his career. I got to know him fairly well when he was coaching at North Dakota and I was covering the Gophers, but we chatted a little bit before the game that night. They're in an 05 and two stretch, which we all live through here. So you know what a team feels like. And they had the same look where they played so well the night before and just found a way to lose the game against Tampa. They had been down two, came back, took the lead, then gave one up and wound up losing in overtime. And when I was talking to him about it, it was eerie how similar his take was to what we heard from Dean a lot late in the, in his time with the wild was like, at some point you just got to find a way to win a game. And we can say all we want about that we're playing well, our game's trending the right way. What was funny is during their seven-game, I don't know if you saw our graphic, during the seven-game losing streak they had, their shot differential was the second best in the NHL, like plus 60. And yet all their other numbers were the bottom five. Yeah. They can't score and they couldn't get a save at key times. And we saw it. I mean, they had two plays that should have been backdoor tappins that were shot almost identically right into Gus. Right. The Everly and the Another Cartier. One the net what is that? Cart- what's his name? How do you pronounce it? Cartier? Cartier. Cartier. Like, what's his story? What an unsigned little, rookie. What a little rat. Yeah. My God. But decent player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, playing on their first line for an unsigned guy, that's pretty good. Yeah. Bogosian, though, I think. Uh, Similarly to Branson, I don't think that guy's going to go near good Bogosian. No. I thought Bogosian was great that game. He was good. Um, you know, for the most part, their blue line was really good on the first game of Jonas Brodeen not playing. Uh, Brodeen's going to miss, uh, you know, six to eight weeks-ish, I think. Yeah, what's interesting is that the a couple of the pairs were, so they, they went back to Spurgeon and Goligoski, who had been so good together two years ago. Remember, they played together through about mid-February, and then... Uh, Galagasti didn't play every night down the stretch, but you know what's funny? There were there was a turning point exactly, and I remember it to a T. Back to back games at New York, at New York. Remember the game in New York Rangers? He was unbelievably good. Yeah. Then they played the next night against the Islanders. He couldn't have been worse, couldn't and then it game took a turn. It, but it took a turn. They just didn't play him much. Yeah. He finished the year plus forty one. Yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he was plus forty one. Spurge was plus thirty two. So they went back to those two guys and and. We went back and looked at some of the analytics, and when those two were together on the ice that year, they were terrific. The other pair, Middleton and Faber, just the opposite. When they had played together earlier this year, they they weren't very good. In fact, they were one of the Wild's worst defensive combos, and that's why they went away from it. This was when Spurgeon was still out, and they were trying to juggle their defensive pairings a little bit. And so... They went back to it, and they actually were really good that yeah, first night together. I thought so, so, too. We'll see if that continues. But the last time they were together earlier this season, it didn't work out too well and didn't last long. When Middleton played with Faber, who was with Brodeen? Was it was it Mermis? I think they rotated. They had Brodeen played with Addison a little oh, bit at right, that right. time. Yep. And they were just trying to – And pretty, it didn't take long, and they just went to let's just go back to Faber and Brodeen, and we'll figure it out with all the other guys. Yep, yep. Question. Yeah, I – the Wild have changed their coach. Edmonton's changed theirs. How surprised were you by what happened in St. Louis last night with Craig Berube? I was very surprised. Um, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and I read Jeremy Rutherford's article, you know, on a column lambasting um, the roster that Doug Armstrong put together. And I opened it up thinking, oh, that's interesting that he wrote this out of the blue. And then I'm like, you know, 
moments, you know, he and then it was clear to me that he wrote it after he found out at like 1130 at night that that Barubi was fired. I was surprised because the expectations for that franchise seemed to be all over the map. Like I was in the under the impression they were in this rebuild. And you, I didn't think they were a playoff team coming into. The yeah, season. like and um, and then today, like Doug Armstrong, like just basically he said, like, I feel like I haven't left this organization any better than when I took it when then they organized than the roster that I got. Like, you know, I'm like, well, you did win a cup. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. And you just knew that Ruby was under. I said to a buddy of mine yesterday because Darren Dreger went on inside trading, basically almost saying that. Ruby was on the hot seat, and I said to a buddy of mine yesterday, I said, I'd get you fired tonight. Like, for favor, for Dreger to put that out there out of the blue and nobody was talking about it, he must have known that something was in the works for, through sources. And sometimes when you're an, almost predicting that a coach is going to be fired um, and they have a game that night, it's not easy. Um, I ran into that situation. Um, I ran into that situation with Dean. Like, if you read my mailbag on the day uh, before they – the, the the game, like I could not have made it clearer that I knew it was coming um, in that thing. I mean, the whole article was basically his, like the first question was, I know that Dean's on the hot seat. I'm like, well, you know, he might be. And the reason why, what was tough about that is that I still wasn't positive that they were going to have Hines under contract by the game the next day. So my biggest worry was that you're right, that he's on his way out and then they don't fire him. And now he's coaching against um, St. Louis that night, coincidentally. And then the next day they fire him, kind of like Jay Woodcroft, where he got the win versus the Sharks and was still fired the next day. So um, sometimes, like, if as a reporter, you just know how people operate. And re- when Dreger, the way he was talking, reading between the lines, I knew he knew something was up and that Brewery was in trouble. And I, t- I remember I texted Jeremy right away. I'm like, hey, <laughs> just so you know, like, this is not something that Dreger would just throw out there. So that's what happened. Um, but all these teams are responding. I mean, we haven't seen if St. Louis has yet, but man, the Oilers are on fire right now. Holy crap. Yeah. They've been different for sure. And how about Evan Bouchard? He's been great, man. And what, the, that's what they've been missing for ever. They tried to get it with Tyson Berry to add a, an offensive defenseman who could drive things for them. And I, I like Bouchard's game a lot right now, but and remember the game here where the Wild beat them seven four. He was the worst player on the ice that game. And it was like McDavid a minus didn't play. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but Bouchard was just brutal. Yeah. Was, who do you tee Although up in front of the points. net? Was it Kaprizov? He had three points in that game, but yeah, but it he, was minus he, like four, right? But my, I think he had three points and minus two. But he was it was bad. he was on the ice for like five or like yeah. a bunch of goals because I, I remember there was the biggest goal of that game. I think he put the puck right on. I think it was Kaprizov's stick. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe he was even. Hartsey might have been Hartman. Uh, any other questions uh, before we continue uh, blabbing? You notice I noticed that Karen Dahl didn't reply to our group text the other day of uh, the video that we found of her being locked in the bathroom in Sicily. <laughs> you notice that? Yeah, that was interesting. We did. Brian responded with the you got to watch out for glass doors. Yeah, yeah. Windows. Everybody had to be on that text chain, I think. So to get to what we're talking about. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your 
your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. A guaranteed cash offer from Chris Lindell Real Estate is exactly what you need right now. Everyone can see the real estate market is cooling off quickly. Well, don't be one of the houses that doesn't sell. Be a smart seller and get a guaranteed cash offer today. There are no commissions, no repairs, and no open houses. Chris Lindell Real Estate's guaranteed offer puts you in control so you can sell your home fast. The economy and housing market are becoming more uncertain, and homeowners just like you want to make sure you cash in on your equity. And that's why thousands of clients work with Chris Lindell Real Estate. They have over 4,000 five-star reviews because their guaranteed offer works. You sell your home quickly, stress-free, and move when it's convenient for you. Just go to chrislindahl.com for a free, no-obligation, guaranteed cash offer. It's available 24 hours a day. They'll make you an as-is cash offer on your home fast. Whether it's a total fixer-upper or in perfect condition, Chrislindahl Real Estate's guaranteed cash offer is the easiest way to sell your home. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, go to chrislindahl.com right now and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. Kowalski's have port wine? For sure they do. In fact, we just, I, I just, I love going in with the knowledge that their wine guys have too. And I work with the people in the, the North Oaks, the Shoreview Kowalski's more than any other, but AJ just texted me recently and said, Hey, it turns out his, his girlfriend's name is Ariana. He says, turns out she likes a wine called Gamay. And I wasn't familiar with it. I think I'd had it once. And I said, all I can remember is I thought it was from the Beaujolais region in France. So, but I said, I'll go talk to the guys at the Kowalski's wine shop. They'll know. I walk in and sure enough, the guy's got three options for me. And he said, yeah, and if you got something else that you want, let me know. I'll order it for you. We'll get it in here. It's like right now, everything I know about Gamay wine is what you just told me in the last four sentences, but picked up a couple of good ones and they're just so helpful. Each time I walk in, they look, and they say, all right, let's see what we've got that you haven't tried yet. Yep. You haven't tried this one. Give this one a shot. And they've had nothing but good luck there. So it's, it, they're, they've been awesome. All right, question. Darby Hendrickson, he's made his way through a few coaching changes now. What are some attributes that's kept him around? And do you think that he's going to get an expanded role maybe one of these days? Well, I don't know. I mean, they all have a year left on their deal. And obviously, I do think uh, that John Hines is going to be evaluating his entire staff. Um, My gut says that Patrick Dwyer is elevated for the rest of the year and then same thing he'll either go back to Iowa or be uh, somebody that they retain and, and resign um, but in terms of Darby I mean he's under term um, you know he's not somebody that that coaches the power player the penalty kill he but he's somebody that's extremely in, in, in um, you know uh, instrumental in diagramming plays at the end of games he's instrumental in practices sort of running drills but his biggest um you know asset that i see in the locker room is he's sort of the you know nice guy liaison that sits down with players to go through video to when they're down to get them back up like he's got that role on the coaching staff so um i think that's one reason why he has survived a lot of this is so he's not really a specialty coach but he has a huge, uh, his paws on a lot of different yeah, things. He does a lot of their pre-scouts mm-hmm. and he does a lot of their scoring chance video stuff. He's, but there's also like a personality fit for him. That's why he survived all these coaching changes. And if you look at around the staff, he's the only one that's been here for I Jonas. Well, right. Yeah, I suppose. But if you look at, I mean, Darby goes back, how many coaches? Five. Yeah. He didn't, he, he worked under not just was, he wasn't with Jacques, but... You, he but was you, with Richards. With Richards? He was hired with Richards? I believe so. He was with Yo. 
He was with Torchetti, with Bruce, Dean, and now at, for, with Hines. It would surprise so me seven if he coaches? wasn't still a part of it. In the, Six coaches. As you go forward. But, but I think anytime we talked about this on the last podcast, whatever, whatever your role is, whenever there's a change above you, there's uncertainty. You just don't know. You don't know, like, the new guy, whether it's a GM or a coach that comes in, if he's got a guy that's his trusted guy and his role is goaltending coach, that doesn't no fault of the current goaltending coach, but if that's the guy he always wanted to be like a baseball guy who is his guy is his pitching coach or his bullpen coach or his hitting coach or whatever it is, you just don't know who who they might have as their trusted confidant, and then that's the guy whose job becomes in jeopardy. So we don't know who that is. For John Hines, if if there is a guy like that or guys like that, but I'm sure at the end of this season, once he's had a chance now to coach with these guys too, he'll have a better idea of who fits. He just seems like he connects with the players really well. Yeah, he yeah, does. I did. Uh, you signed Darbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and hopefully people uh, read my John Hines profile today. I, I really enjoyed working on this. I got to sit with him for a couple hours at the team hotel in Vancouver on um, the, uh, whatever Saturday. Whatever day we were there, uh, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday. Wednesday. It was Wednesday. There you go. And, uh, you know, if you haven't been to Vancouver, there's a lot of things that you'd rather do than sit with me in a film room for at the team hotel for two hours. But he gave me all the time oh, I a wanted. Great hotel. It, by the way, it was supposed to be and a great hotel. It was supposed to be a 20 minute conversation. Two hours later, we were still there. So it was, it was a real uh, fun one. And I was able to split it into a couple stories. But the one that I wrote today is a really cool story on on, you know, sometimes the risks that you have to take in life to try to get to where you aspire to be. And he is somebody that signed a new three-year contract in the 120 range uh, with the U.S. National Development Team. He's somebody that was there for a long, long time, not just the six years as a head coach, but several years as an assistant. Had coached some of the best Americans that were, you know, the Kessels, the Canes, the Johnsons, all those type of players. Um, but he wanted to he wanted to be a, in the NHL. And um, so he... The, all of a sudden, the uh, the the job opens in Wilkesbury as being an assistant coach uh, under Todd Reardon. He puts his name in the hat. the 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 contract paid fifty five thousand on a one year deal with a one year option, and he went for the job, took the job, and a year later, he is the head coach of that team because Mike Yo coincidentally took the Houston Arrows job with the Wild organization, and Todd Reardon was promoted to Pittsburgh. And then next thing you know, he's the head coach. And in five years, the head coach brought him to a couple conference finals, one coach of the year. And then Ray Shearer went to Jersey and hired him there. So it shows you, one, the risks that you take in life. Sometimes it helps you get to where you want to be, the sacrifice. But the other thing is that he really took a, a deep dive into himself this offseason and did a lot of pre-scouting into himself and, and uh, sorry, self-scouting into everything from systems, the way he uh, runs his meetings, the way he runs his staff, to the way he talks and communicates uh, and relationships with players. He shadowed the Vanderbilt football team. He had plans to go to the Sharks um, once a month, did it once went to the lightning, had plans to go to the penguins and was doing all these basically job shadows to try to just get better as a coach. And I think that that's also for a career coach that has been doing this since 21 years old to understand that you could grow and not think that you have all the answers. Uh, maybe that'll be, uh, you know, that the wild one up being the benefactor. Yeah. And I, I think there are a couple things that one of the early conversations I had with him, he talked about that the self scout nature of it. And I think that's important. I think the, to go back to the first part of your point is that 
you have to have some confidence. You have to be willing to take some risks and you have to have the support of your family. And I can relate to that. I wanted to be a play-by-play guy and we had some job opportunities to go be like a newscaster. And I was like, I I don't want to do that. We're making zero dollars right now doing games, but I think this, I think I might be able to do this someday. So, and I had the support of a wife too, that was willing to say, yep, go ahead. The common denominator there. Keep working for nothing. And, and we'll see if this works out instead of take the job that where you have a little bit more of a, of a sure thing. So I can relate to that part. But then the other part is the, the self scout thing. And that's a, that's not easy to do. And he and I talked about it a little bit when we were in Nashville and Imagine picking up the phone and calling a former employer and saying, hey, just out of curiosity, why was, what was I lousy at? What, I mean, that's, that's hard to do. These guys have confidence. And he said, I knew I was a good coach, but you had to ask somebody and then be willing to listen to it and say, can you please give me a list of all the things you think I should have done better? And now clearly there's more to the, he also was like, what did you like? But that's not always easy to listen to. And for, for people that have the ability to take that and then say, okay, well, yep, I can adjust this. There's still, and he was the first to say, he said, some of it I disagreed with. And I, that's just not who I am. I still believe in what I was doing, but he said, I did learn a lot about little things, the communication part, the visibility part that he refers to a lot now with his being present, being present. And that was one of the things he said he learned from one of those meetings. So it's a, and to call up coaches and say, guys that are in the same line of work that you want to be and say, can I just come and follow you around and see what you do? You know, that that's a, you got to check your ego at the door. And I, the fact that he's willing to do that, I think is significant. We'll see. We've got a long way to go. We're just in the early stages of getting to know this guy as a person and as a coach, but the early impressions certainly are high quality guy, hardworking guy, detail oriented guy, and just a quality person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, question. Quick, uh, just one quick question. Do you know why more teams don't do uh, noise when the power plays over? It feels like it'd be an advantage for the people on the ice. You don't have to pay attention to the clock just yeah. goes off. Or the, you know, the, you know, the times where it's sometimes in a loud building, you don't hear it when the goalie is smacking on the ice to give the penalty killers uh um, you know, a little warning and things like that. Um, um, you know, I don't know, uh, that you, you're the sound effects that we hear in Seattle and, and Colorado and things like that. I don't know. What do you think? I, I have no opinion. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. like, you know, if you go to college games, they, a lot of them play that video game sound when they're back at full strength or whatever. Is that what you're talking about? Is just something. In yeah. The or the, like that. Is it player up like a Mario, Mario in, uh, yep. Denver? I called it like Pac-Man once, and I got like all these stupid yeah. idiot uh, Colorado fans. I don't know, going but I mean, the referees Twitter. are yelling even, 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 which you can usually when the building's quiet, we can hear it. But I know even when the building's loud, the guys on the ice can hear that. They, I think the guys are aware when the power plays over. Okay, yeah, maybe we maybe they do it at Excel Energy Center, but we don't know because they were giving up goals ten seconds into every power play. <laughs> maybe I don't know, perhaps. Uh, could that be? I doubt it. Uh, you got 10 more minutes in the show. Anybody have any questions? Oh, I thought you were coming up, Carp. That was a psych. All right. All right so this, this is going to be a good one because I could already tell. First of all, you're in a walking boot. Second of all, you, you got an entire printed question out, yeah. like teleprompter. Nervous and I forget. Okay. It, so. 
Anyway, that's so does Michael when he's the, on TV. Yeah. We have to get the teleprompter set for him. If if the question uh, is too hard, Anthony's going to answer. It. I'll just show you my phone. Uh, do you just think speak you, in the mic though? Okay. Do you think that Dakota Mermis and Damon Hunt will draw into the lineup now with Merrill and Galagoski being healthy scratches? And what do you think of the play of both Merrill and Galagoski? They seem to be more of a liability when they are on the ice. Um. So they called up two defensemen today, which right away, just the reporter intuition of me tells me that Spurgeon might be out tomorrow. That, that just seems to be... Because he didn't practice today. Yeah, and um, so I think that he's day-to-day with something. Um, although, uh, you know, I saw a video of him at the gala yesterday. He was there and looked fine. But sometimes you just never know what's bothering somebody. It's a little concerning it that it's concerning a... It's concerning that he took a maintenance day today after they had three days, days off. off. Yeah. So strange. So, um, so clearly, so one of those guys goes in for him. And then your question is, you know, does the other guy, my guess is that, um, one of those guys is going to be a healthy scratch and we will see Goligoski and Maryland tomorrow just because they're coming off, uh, as a team, a good game the other night. Um, am I doing the math correctly? Kind of. I think they, um, I think they have the, the ability now because of Brodine going on LTIR that they can actually carry a couple extra guys, which right. they haven't been able to do. So we may see a rotation of – it might it won't be the same six every night would be my guess. Yeah. And, I would like and, to see them play Damon Hunt and give him real ice time and let's see what we got. But they also need to win games now. And, uh, you know, I think Dakota Mermis has been good and probably somebody that they trust, uh, although we didn't see him on the road trip. Well, what's interesting, uh, except for one, game. one yep. game, but it, Where I, I thought he was good that game, I right? I thought he was good, yeah. but he built up a lot of trust in Dean Evison and John Hines hasn't seen that yet. So it's kind of interesting. Like Mermis played a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more as he played earlier when he was filling in for injuries. He's got to build up that trust because I'm sure Hines has a very limited knowledge of who Dakota Mermis is mm-hmm. and I think we'll just see probably some guys that if if you've got a couple extras, which the Wild haven't had that luxury much this season, so it's kind of been we got six D. If you're here, you're in, and now they they're gonna they'll have eight perhaps, and they can carry eight for a while if they want. So I think we'll see probably a rotation of guys. I don't think we'll see the same six every night, even if Spurgeon can play. And to your point, uh, to your other question, uh, you know, both of those guys haven't been very good, especially Goligoski lately. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, maybe age is catching up. I, I don't know. I thought he was good early in the year, but the last game he played, I thought it was not great. And I think all you have to do is look at the ice time. So the game in Seattle where they were <laughs> protecting a lead, Merrill played one minute in the third period. So yeah. that would give you an idea. I thought Bogosian was great that I game. Bogosian was great. Yeah, and, outstanding. And they – you know, that was a, a night where you're playing without Brodeen and you basically leaned on four and a half defensemen for an entire period. I, it, it gives you an idea of what the coaching staff felt about those guys play. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the um, schedule coming up here. The Wild have, is it six games before the break, I believe? Um, two home yeah, games, two, two road two games, road and then two home games, yeah. right, before the break. Yeah. Um, yet you have six games here. They're four points out of a playoff spot. Um, what's five your, out of the next seven at home? Yep. Because the the last two before are the holidays, and then the twenty seventh game is the the home game against Detroit, who travels here. I think this is an important stretch. You've got them. We talked about it before. This these two at home and the stretch of nine in a row against the West, and you've got a Calgary and Vancouver team coming in that are two of the other teams right in the middle of the pack or slightly above in the West. These are games you got to win. If you're going to get back in it. Pittsburgh, Boston, back to back, it will be a challenge. 
And then you get Detroit and two in a row against Winnipeg over New Year's weekend. So I, I think this is a really important stretch. This is a, it could be a season-defining stretch for Minnesota. We might know by the end of December if they're going to be in a position to keep going at the rate they're going, winning five out of seven. They're going to be right in the middle of things. Yeah. Although the way that this season's going, we're probably going to be talking about you know season-defining stretches for a lot of the rest we of the year. We will, but yeah. there's going to be a lot of stretches that could end the season. Mm-hmm. Not This one isn't going to lock them into a playoff spot, but it could could make it really difficult. Yeah. They, these next three games, I got to figure out a way to, uh, to to win before that Boston game. That Boston game is in. That's going to be tough. <laughs> What's they've, they've lost like three regulation games, four regulation games all year long. Uh, and last call for questions. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up the show. Somebody have pressing a uh, question on how to grill a steak for Anthony or um, I don't even know what I I like to do away from writing. So I don't even know what question you could ask me that would be interesting um going once going twice look how excited brandon is <laughs> brandon like almost unplugged the computer so there you go well thanks to everybody coming out for split rocks He's already next- coiling up cords so yeah. that tells you it's time to sign off yeah it's like the guy giving you the rap sign when you're giving a speech so yeah when you see him putting his equipment away it's time to go yeah and he's got the great hat tonight polaroid how many people in this room have never don't even know what a Polaroid is? There's got to be a good amount. Raise your hand. <laughs> I can't wait to Portugal to go with him. That'd be fun. All right. Um, thanks, everybody, for coming on out again. January 16th at 7 p.m. is our next live show at Tuttle's. So uh, long ways off. Uh, we'll see where the wild in are, are there then, but we'll have a bunch of podcasts on the network. So definitely listen before that. Uh, thanks to our awesome, awesome sponsors, Aquarius home services, uh, your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning. And I was remiss to mention that we are coming to you from the Aquarius home services studio, uh, live here at split rocks. Uh, thanks to Bowen lodge on Lake Winnebagashish, Royal credit union, Bosch law firm, Kowalski's, Christendale Real Estate, of course, all the Tuttle's restaurants and Grain Bell. Thanks, everybody, for coming on out Thank here. Thank you very much. January 16th, next live show. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. All oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. I haven't even thought about the team. What's going on? They won? All right, good.